0: Several months ago, there was a couple in this church, they happened to be in worship with us today, Luis and Simone, Simone Severa, and they were naturalized citizens at that time in a great ceremony. I want you to see this little video clip. My name is Luis Silvera. Uh, today is the ceremony for our American citizenship. And I'm very proud and honored to be here in San Antonio and take the oath to become an American citizen. My name is Simone Silveira and I am very very happy today. I am proud to say that I am an American. Here we had our children, our wonderful children Nicole and Stacy. And we love we love America. Yeah. This is a great country, isn't it? I mean, I've watched this video several times. I still get chills just seeing it. It's so powerful. Uh, what a great country. I want to tell you what makes the United States of America great. It's the word and You notice the sermon topic, church and state. The worship team was meeting on Tuesday and they were pushing me to come up with my message, get it very clear. And I can't get much more clear than one word. If you get nothing else from this service, take, take this word home and today. The United States of America is a Christian nation. And a Jewish nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and an agnostic nation, and you fill in the blank. That's what makes this country great. So it's church and state, and mosque, and temple, and pagoda, and church of the brunch on Sunday mornings. Thank you, thank you, yes. People have a lot of choices in the United States of America. We remember from our history, and I looked it up again on the internet, it's been a while since I was in the eighth grade, but I I looked it up again that our nation was founded by people fleeing religious persecution where the state and the church were one. And that was uncomfortable because intolerance, no, there was no tolerance for other points of view. And so the pilgrims go to Massachusetts to Plymouth Rock to flee persecution and the Puritans came later. And then there's the Quakers in Pennsylvania and in Maryland it was the Catholics and then in Rhode Island it's just wide open to everybody, in New Jersey and that got into the DNA of the USA. It's about and. Our founding documents pick up this language. Let's, Let's look here. Article 6 of the Constitution no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust. So you can be any faith or no faith and run for office and that is okay in the United States of America. The 1st amendment to the Constitution says no uh, the Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise Thereof, again, it's and, you can practice any faith or no faith. And, the church needs the state, and the state needs the church. First of all, the church needs the state. If we can go to that Titus passage. This was written by Paul in the early church. And here and two other places in the New Testament, he writes in letters a very positive view of government. And what does he say? Uh, you know, pray for rulers and authorities, be subject to them. You can look this up also in Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2. Three places, it comes very positive because the, tr- the state can provide order, can promote human good, can. Restrain evil and protect life. We're we're grateful for a government that does that for us. There's one place, the last letter in the New Testament, the revelation to John, where the state does not come off so well. And Rome is called some very bad names I'm not going to mention. But they were in conflict, the Christian church and the Roman state. And so that's the one place in the New Testament that the government is harshly criticized Today, I'm asking you as we look at this passage of Scripture, what do you pray for our nation? What do you pray for our government leaders? I think this passage has some clues for me, wouldn't it be great If our nation, our rulers, our authorities were obedient, (laughs) ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling. Oh, does this this have any resonance at all with us today? Uh, uh, To be gentle, to show every courtesy to everyone. I mean, part of my heartfelt prayer for our nation this day is this polarization that just gets, you know, the part, Parties and personalities just get further and further apart, and lobbying positions, you know, lobbying like bombs at each other, and and it's all about getting reelected, and and, and you know what about us, the people? What's good for us, the whole? Uh, that's 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 my heart. Is could we be more like like this passage, what it's talking about about here? The state also needs the church. And and here I'm not talking just about the church. I'm talking about all those faith communities. You heard me mention at the opening here. But we're Christians. We're in this house of worship this day. And that is our particular view. What do we have to say? We we provide a moral compass, I believe. We provide a theological grounding that it's not about economics always (laughs) or power. We have some other points of view as followers of Christ. I quote this Old Testament passage from Isaiah. Let me set the context. This is a courtroom scene. Read the verses before this and after this. The Lord God prosecutes His own people and He says, these are all exclamation points, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. That's what the Lord God says to his people then and to his people today. The context was this. The people at that time were enjoying a time of relative peace and prosperity. And they got comfortable. Those pews were soft. The music was good. The air conditioning was on. Right. Oh, does this have any relevance? I don't know. But... The people started to feel comfortable and, and satisfied. And, and, you know, the incense in the temple, well, it was, it was, the smoke was a smoke screen and it kept the people from seeing the injustices and the hurts of those other people around them. And the gap grew between the rich and the poor. I know this has no relevance today. And it's there that the Lord God says, exclamation point, learn to do good, seek justice. Rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. This is my bias as a follower of Christ. Jesus says something very similar to this in Matthew's Gospel in the 25th chapter. You remember this passage where Jesus says, You want to know where you see me? It's when you did it to the least of these, my brothers or sisters, any of my family members who were most vulnerable, then you did it to me. All those who are sick or hungry or in prison or naked. then you did it to me. So Pope Francis, he writes from this same vein of taking care of the most vulnerable. Do you remember this encyclical he just put out? What was this, a couple of weeks ago? And he talked about saving the environment of taking care of the climate change all around us. Again, not for an economic reason or an ecological reason only, but because it affected the poor more than it affected everybody else. Our bias is towards those who are most vulnerable. If you read the Old Testament, there's there's a language that comes up over and over and over again. The Lord God says to his people, Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt. You were once those who were the most vulnerable so you are to take care of the widow, the orphan, the sojourner in the land. And there came a term it, in Hebrew, it's called anawim. It means the poor, the oppressed. And I looked it up. It's just found all through the Old Testament scriptures. That is our bias. How we treat those who are most vulnerable is the way God looks at us today. That's how we critique the government, the state today. So it's worship service and and service with the poor. It's rich and poor in community together. It's faith and state, church and state today. God's eye is on the most vulnerable amongst us. That is the litmus test that we follow You've come today, this is the first of five sermons where I get a little bit risky. I take some stances here. It's all based on that Isaiah passage, though, about how we treat the Anawim, how we treat the poor, the oppressed, those most vulnerable amongst us. In John Wesley's day, John Wesley was the guy who started this Methodist movement that got out of his control and became the United Methodist Church, this denomination we know today. He critiqued the British government where he was uh, a resident. The early Methodists were ones who spoke out against slavery. It was not a popular stance. They took stands for those who were in poverty. They advocated for education for all. You're not going to believe this, but they even had a medical care plan. (laughs) They did. They did. John Wesley wrote the Primitive Physique. He was against alcohol abuse, against child labor. For whom do we need to speak today? For whom do we need to advocate? Who needs our attention today? And here I take a stand. This is not to offend you. It's not to get you to clap or to hiss. Luckily, nobody at the early service threw anything at me. I take a small risk. I was pleased with the decision of the Supreme Court that allowed equal access to marriage rights for all people. I understand that people of faith don't agree with that stance. I want to be the pastor of everybody, and I will continue to hear all points of view. I'm sorry that I'm the only one that gets to speak at this moment, but I'm the preacher this day, and this is the gospel that I need to share with you. You are certainly welcome to come to your own point of view. I'm saying, here's mine, and that gives you room to find out where you stand. I repent of my silence not just about this issue, but so many other issues where I have not advocated on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, those that didn't have voice, the powerless. I understand that today some out of their Christian convictions and other faith stances are refusing to grant marriage licenses. And I, I, I say that that's perfectly valid. If you can justify that on your own faith stance, then that's fine. The thing is, we remember all of those people of faith who have taken other stands and have suffered for that. So it's not a free pass when we take a stand against the government. There are always consequences. And you can look back, like at the Civil Rights Movement as I was growing up, at many people who stood up for those who were not in power and suffered because of that. Please know that we can always talk Uh, As we go out the door, as you email me, as you call me, it's an ongoing conversation. I do want to be your pastor, but I do want to be clear about where I stand today, about one group of people that I think falls into this category of those who are amongst the Anawim. And, I'm always looking for and. I am not a polarizing person. I'm so glad to be in this community of faith I was reading a blog from my spiritual director, yes, spiritual directors blog these days. They don't just sit in a room and pray with you. My spiritual director had a great blog this past week as we were anticipating our nation's birthday. And she said, in the, in the year 1776, we declared independence from Great Britain. And she said, it seems ever since then we've been at war with ourselves. She sees it as a soul issue of how we learn to fight, how we learn to put some people down so we can feel better about ourselves. She said, I wish instead of focusing on independence at this holiday, we would focus on interdependence. Do you hear my and? How we desperately need one another to be in community, to live together. I'm glad to be the pastor in this faith community because I think we practice And I know that we have some persons of the Jewish faith who regularly worship with us. We have a person of the Muslim faith who regularly worships with us. We have people who are seekers. We have people who are agnostics. We have people who are nuns, and that's spelled N-O-N-E-S. Do you know that's the most rapidly growing segment of the population? They have no religious affiliation. And all are welcome here. We're the church of Anne. That's why I love to stand behind this table as a United Methodist pastor. Because we practice open communion. We don't check IDs. We say everybody is welcome here. And and is the good news that I have to share with you this day. Amen.